If you have your Bibles this morning, I do want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're in the fourth part of our series, The Blessed Life. You know that we've been walking through the Beatitudes uh, for almost a month now, or really a month now. And, uh, and it's been fantastic for me personally. The Lord has taught me so much. I, I believe he's teaching you a lot as well. I know that many of you have had conversations with me um, about the things that we've been walking through. Uh, but if you remember, the Beatitudes are just a prelude. They're the introduction to Jesus' most famous sermon, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so there's about seven or eight of these things that we're going to be diving through. Um, so we're almost halfway through them all at this point. But in week one, you might remember, uh, the very first beatitude is blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And we said that the poor in spirit are those who are aware of their complete emptiness before the Lord. That we recognize that we are spiritually bankrupt before God. That there is nothing in us that can earn the favor and the merit of God. And what we've defined it as, um, the poor in spirit, is the consciousness of my emptiness. That when we see God's otherness, we're also simultaneously aware of our nothingness. And then we said that that was the foundational beatitude for them all. The next beatitude is blessed are those who mourn. Mourn specifically over not only the sin of the world, but also sin of self. When we recognize that there is nothing that we have to offer God, the only proper response, the only emotional response that we should have is that we grieve before him as well. And then we built upon that last week talking about blessed are the meek. And we said that the meek are the poor in spirit um, who are actually using that poor in spirit, that poverty spirit to direct it at other people. Um, so the meek are really those people who are stripped of all self-righteousness. They recognize I have nothing to offer God. I've recognized my own depravity before him, my nothingness before him, and that leads us to a place of meekness before him as well. Today we're going to be covering the fourth beatitude. The fourth beatitude is this. It says, blessed. Remember that that word blessed, it might be translated in your scripture as the word happy, right? Um, but don't get stuck on that word happy, okay? because happiness as you and I know it is based on happenstance. It's a circumstance in my life that determines if I am happy or not happy. Um, that's not what this ter term here means. Um, it's rooted in something much deeper than that, namely the, namely the person of Jesus. says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Think about it this way. What would be the point of this if we confess sin before God, and not only we confess sin before God, but we lament over that sin, and we just leave it there. there. There would not be much of a point in that. Instead, what Jesus is saying by adding this fourth beatitude is that when you're poor in spirit, when you have a consciousness of your emptiness, that's when you begin to hunger and you begin to thirst for righteousness. In, in other words, empty people need filling, Right? You guys understand this, like if your stomach is empty, it starts to roar, it starts to groan. It, it wants something to feed it. It wants to be filled. When you're empty, you need to be filled. So empty people need filling. This word satisfied here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This word satisfied may be translated a couple of different ways. Okay, one of you, you maybe have a translation that says filled. Okay, so that's where we get the word filled and satisfied, they're kind of synonyms. Um, but some of you have a translation that might say fully satisfied. That's actually the most appropriate translation of the Greek word here, is that you and I are fully satisfied. In fact, if I could title today's message, 
Um, I'd probably title it something around that idea of being fully satisfied. Today's message, honestly, that's who it's for. It's for those of you who walked in the, you know, the, walked in the back doors of this building. And you say, you know what, Trey, I've tried everything under the sun, and I have found nothing yet to fully satisfy me. I've been trying relationships, I've been trying finances, I've been trying investments, I've been trying stocks, I've been trying all of these different things in hopes that I'll be fully and totally and completely satisfied. Yet I came here this morning and I lack it. In full transparency, satisfaction eludes us. It's rare that anything is exactly right. You know what I mean? It's rare that, that any occurrence in our life is exactly right. Right, Kayla and I went on a pastor's retreat here recently, and on this pastor's retreat, I just want to go ahead and say it out loud, because I'm going to tell you where we went, and I want you to know that Kayla and I would never go there unless it was paid for, okay? just want you to know. Um, but this pastor's retreat was put on by the North American Mission Board, and what they do is they throw these different retreats just to get pastors away from their churches and just to kind of fill them, to pour into them, and it was phenomenal. Guys, this was probably one of the best pastor's retreats uh, that I've ever participated in, and uh, I was glad my wife got to be there with me, but they took us to the Ritz-Carlton, okay? So the Ritz-Carlton's a fancy hotel. I've never been in the Ritz-Carlton uh, one day in my life. Like, I went in there because I turned in a job application, like, when I was in college, um, but that's the last time I went to the Ritz-Carlton, all right? Um, I don't even know how to act when I go to places like that. Um, so I went to the Ritz-Carlton, and that's where we were. Uh, very, very nice hotel, but very, very thin walls. Um, so... The first night, we're there for three hours. We just had dinner. We came back to the room. We had to go to hear a speaker. And um, we didn't have to go hear a speaker. Don't hear me like that. Like, man, they made us go do this. We wanted to go hear the speaker. Um, but we're waiting for that. And my wife's kind of touching up, you know, in the bathroom, as women do. And she's standing in front of the mirror. But she got really, really quiet. And I was thinking, what in the world is she doing in there? So I kind of came around the corner. I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, shh. <laughs> I can hear the conversation that's happening in the room next door. I'm like, gosh, you're so nosy. <laughs> but she's telling about this conversation and this husband and this wife that are like just complaining about the hotel. Like they're at this nice, exquisite hotel and the things that are coming out of their mouth are like, but the pillows are so soft. They're too soft here. We need firmer pillows at this hotel. I mean, the, the meal was great. Great that they fed us steak and, you know, vegetables and all this stuff. But I mean, they didn't give us enough. We needed more. And not only that, if you're only going to give us that much food, then at least have some snacks out on the table so that we can go indulge the snacks. Like, this is what she's listening to. And she said, they didn't even have a Coke. All I wanted was Coke, and the only option was unsweetened tea and water. And she's like, they're at the Ritz-Carlton. And, and we're complaining that things aren't exactly Right. In many ways, this is a picture of my life, and this is a picture of your life. We spend a lot of effort chasing our dreams, and those dreams only leave us empty. I mean, think about it. We spend all this effort chasing personal ambitions and things that will, that will make us happy, or at least things that we think will make us happy. And then even when God puts us in a place of luxury, we offer complaints, we see the things that are lacking rather than the things that he's doing and, and wants to do in and through us. And it's amazing how this works. We work so hard to make more money so that we can buy more stuff. And all of that stuff, it never provides what it actually promises. How many of you remember the band U2? 
Some of you remember the band YouTube. Some of you still listen to apparently Linda, though, because she knows they're still around. Um, the lead singer of the band U2 was a guy by the name of Bono, or is a guy by the name of Bono. Some of you will remember in 1987, late 80s, early 2000s, there was a song that was really, really popular that kind of put them on the map. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Remember that? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, whatever that was, that's the song. I, I give you the tune, if that's even a tune. Um, can't carry a tune, but I give it to you so that it might trigger what song I'm talking about. You know, if I had to title the message today, that's probably what I should title it rather than something around satisfactory is I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, you two, you two this band, they are worth $1.8 billion. That's their net worth. Bono alone is worth $700 million. Yet he still hasn't found what he's looking for. It's safe to say that when you and I think material possession, it's safe to say that when you and I think wealth or relationship or any earthly pursuit for that matter will fully satisfy us, it's safe to say this morning that no, it actually will not. When all of us in this room are on a mission to find fulfillment, when each and every one of us in this room are on a mission to find satisfaction, God says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he says, I have a solution for you. I know where you can go to find full fulfillment, and I know where you can go to be fully satisfied. Why then do we turn everywhere but to God to find the satisfaction that our hearts are longing for? Why then as men and women who call ourselves born-again believers in Jesus Christ and put all of our faith in him, why do we look to the things of this world to do for us only what God can do? This isn't new. It goes all the way back to the life of King Solomon. Flip over to the book of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. For those of you who don't know where Ecclesiastes is, songs, or Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I want to walk through this book really quickly this morning, but Really, this idea of searching for fulfillment and searching for satisfaction, this goes, this goes way back, way before you and I were ever born. This is something that man and woman have been doing for as long as they have existed on planet Earth. You might remember Solomon. Solomon was known as the richest and the wisest man to ever live. He was the son of King David. He later became king himself, king of Israel. Solomon was the man who wrote most of the Proverbs that are in your Bible. Some of you have read the Songs of Solomon. He, he, he wrote a lot of scriptures in your Bible. Yet he also wrote a miserable, miserable book. Not Lamentations, but Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book of 12 chapters that tells of a man named Solomon who's on a journey in his life to find fulfillment and satisfaction, and he still can't find what he's looking for. My question to you is, before we open this book together, is why do we look for our spouse to provide us when only God can? Why do we look for our friends and family to provide us when only God can? Why do we look for our possessions to give us what only God can? I want you to be challenged with that reality this morning as we think through the life of Solomon. If you've opened up in, verse, in chapter 1, what you're going to see is that Solomon begins on this pursuit of finding satisfaction and finding fulfillment. He begins with knowledge and wisdom. He starts chasing knowledge and wisdom to fulfill him. 
I mean, this is the equivalent of someone who says, if I could just get my GED, and after I get my GED, if I could just go and get my bachelor's degree, and after I get my bachelor's degree, if I could just go and get my master's degree, and once I have my master's degree, I want to go get my doctorate in something so that I can have all these degrees and all these certificates so that I can prove that I'm a knowledgeable person and I can fulfill the satisfaction that I'm longing for in my soul. Yet here it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18, after Solomon chose to pursue that life, it says, for in much wisdom is much vexation, displeasure. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And then he goes on at the very end of the book in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 12, and he says, much study is weariness of the flesh. I don't think Solomon is saying that you shouldn't pursue degrees. I don't think Solomon is saying that you shouldn't study. My kids would love that verse. What Solomon is saying is that, yeah, those things might be good, but they're not going to satisfy you. They're not going to fulfill you. You can have a degree for every single thing that you want on your wall, and it's not going to bring you any more fulfillment than you would have if you didn't have anything to hang on your wall. In chapter 2, because that didn't fulfill him, he chases Something else, he chases a better career. Hey, if I just get a better career with a higher paying job, then I can get a, a better house or a bigger house, and I can drive a nicer car, and I can get fancier clothes, and, and, my, and my shoe game would be unmatched, right? All, all this just for a better job. And then he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 through 11, and whatever my eye desired, I did not, it did not keep from them. You know what he's saying? He's saying if my eye desired it, I went after it. I chased it. I didn't keep my eyes from it. He's saying I traveled the world. I ate all the exquisite foods. And I stayed in all the luxury hotels. He even goes on to say I kept my heart from no pleasure. I indulged it all. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this is what he's saying. I loved my job, and I loved what it paid, and I enjoyed every single benefit of it. And this was my reward for it all. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. And a striving after the wind, he said, in all of this, I was just grabbing aimlessly at the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon's saying, none of this satisfied my soul. Every single bit of this left me empty. I tried knowledge, I tried education, I tried a better job, working long hours, enjoying luscious amenities. What's next? Well, he does what you and I think. He, he just simply comes to the conclusion where I must not be working hard enough. Maybe I need to work even harder. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17 through 18. This is what working harder resulted in. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and is striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Now this wasn't his way of saying, I don't want to leave my gifts to someone else to enjoy. That's not all he was simply saying. He was simply saying that this isn't satisfying me. This, isn't, this did not deliver what it was promising this led Solomon to investments. Maybe that's you this morning. What is investments? It's letting my money make money. So I'm, I mean, and all of us would agree, investing isn't bad. It's not bad. That's not Solomon's point here. 
but it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't satisfy. Solomon says, what about my 401k? What about rental properties? Let's invest into those. What about stocks? Let's invest in that. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 through 11, he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. My money bought money or got me more money, but I wasn't satisfied with the money that it was, it was getting me. Nor he who loves wealth with his own income. This is also vanity. He says in verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. What's he saying? He's saying if I buy this, I got to insure this, I got to protect this, I got to paint this. If I get the boat, I got to get the trailer. I got to get the tax, you know, the, the tag fee. I got to pay it to be insured. And then I got to get gas in it. I have to pay the maintenance fee. You follow me? Like it brings a lot more with it than just a boat. It says they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? You know what he's saying? He's saying it's never enough. He's saying if I buy this thing, I have to buy everything that goes with this thing because none of these things are satisfying me. In other words, what Solomon is saying is the more I have, the more I want. Okay, so his money, his investments, this didn't bring the satisfaction that he was looking for. This didn't fulfill him. So what does he try next? Well, he tries popularity. Man, if, if man will approve me, if I can just be popular in the eyes of man, maybe I'll feel fulfilled and maybe I'll feel satisfied. So what does he do? He becomes king, and as king, he has servants all around him. These servants, he, he loved this because he felt dependent upon. They were dependent on him for everything. They served him. He, he would never be alone. He'd always have companionship. He'd always have people in his presence. Here's what's funny about Solomon and Ecclesiastes. He was never alone at all, yet he was always lonely. You do understand that we live in a day where social media makes us feel the same way. We are more connected to the world than you and I have ever been connected to the world, yet we are disconnected from the world that we live in, in every single way. And what does he say about this in Ecclesiastes 4.8? says, one person who has no other. He's talking about himself. I'm one person who has no other. I'm lonely. Either son or brother, Yet there's no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So even having companionship and popularity and approval, this doesn't fulfill him. What about chapter 5? In chapter 5, Solomon turns another direction. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon turns to women and to wine. In other words, Solomon becomes a partier. Maybe I can go to these parties... And maybe that will fulfill me. And maybe that will satisfy me. We know this. First King tells us, by the way, about Solomon, that he had 700, was it 700 wives or 500 wives and 300 concubines? 700 wives, right? <clears throat> and 300 concubines. I heard a pastor say this a long time ago. I heard a pastor tell a story of a seminary student that he had met. And the seminary student was like, I... I rose my hand one day in class after I heard this out of 1 King that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and I asked my professor, expecting a deep theological answer, I mean, how in the world or why in the world did Solomon have 700 wives? That's a lot. And the professor, as deeply theological as this 
is not, responded and said, well, his hope was is that when all of those 700 wives woke up, at least one of them would be happy. <clears throat> hey, I didn't say that, okay? The professor said that. But I get his point. I don't get his point. I don't get his point. <laughs> you know what? God has blessed us with some fantastic women, hadn't he, men? Amen, amen. We got some great ladies in our church. They're just servant-hearted. They love Jesus. I mean, listen, the guys are knocking at the door to get into the women's events, Tammy, because we, we love what y'all are doing. Y'all women, y'all just so holy, man. So Solomon was searching for something that would fulfill him and satisfy him. This is our lives. We wake up each day looking for someone or something that will fill us and satisfy us as well. But how would Solomon's quest end? How, how does it end? Let's flip over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, it says, The end of the matter. All has been heard. This is it. This is it. When Solomon says, I've tried everything under the sun. To satisfy me, I've tried everything this world has to offer to fulfill me. I have been rich. I've had every possession that you can imagine. I have wisdom and knowledge beyond belief. When all of this is said and done, this is where he landed the plane. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You can try all of that other stuff but all of that other stuff will not fulfill you. All, the, all that other stuff, it will not satisfy you. If you want to experience fulfillment, if you want to experience satisfaction, Solomon's saying this, it's really just rooted right here. Fear God and keep his commandments because that's the way that you were designed by your creator and that's what you are supposed to do. Fear God means to revere him. It means to honor him. It means to worship him. It means to value him above and beyond all other things in your life. It means to love him and in every way imaginable to draw closer and closer to him. And when you draw close to him, Solomon says, keep his commandments. That's, that's great commission language. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Solomon said that before even Jesus said that in the New Testament. It's the same thing. It's rooted in the heart of God. I love how one translation translates the word keep his commandments. It says it like this. Just do what he says to do. It says worship God and draw close to him and just do what he tells you to do. How simple does that sound? Church, so many people are trying to convince others that they love Jesus, and they follow Jesus, and Jesus occupies the throne of their hearts, and they are totally infatuated with him as their king. They worship Jesus, yet they aren't doing the very fundamental things that Jesus has told them to do. And it's the reason the world walks around wondering who is real and who is not. You, you, we have people, and, and I want to say this, gentleness is my word for the year, so I'm going, to, I'm going to practice that here. We have people that call Eagles Landing home. This is their church family. And 
maybe they're watching online. Maybe they'll watch online later. I guess I should look in the camera as I say this. Um, and I don't say this because I'm mad or frustrated with it. I hope you know my heart. I really don't. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But here's the reality of the situation. On Facebook, these people will convince you that they're lovers and followers of Jesus. They'll post all the right quotes and all the right stories and say all the right things. But they haven't darkened the doors of the church since 2015. And I just started to think about this this week. And I was like, you know, the reason some of them might is maybe there's a problem that they have with somebody in the church. Or maybe there's a problem that they have with, you know, organized religion. I don't know. But what I do know is that I'm a groom and my wife is a bride. And God tells us that he's a groom and his church is his bride. If you have an issue with my bride, you're going to have an issue with me. And those people who have an issue with the church, so they choose not to attend, they're not only being disobedient because Hebrews tells us in 1025, don't neglect the assembly of ourselves together. That means don't make it a habit of missing the church body gathered together. So you're already in sin if you do that. But secondly, if you have an issue with the bride, then you also have an issue with the groom. And the groom is not going to deal cautiously with you because that's how Solomon ends this story. Watch how he ends in verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment. Every deed into judgment. You will stand before him and you will be judged with every secret thing and every public thing, whether good or evil. Here's, here's my challenge to you. And this is why I brought that up this morning. Again, I don't want you to hear any frustration here. But some of you know people like that. People that are in your life group. Man, they've just made this habit. Maybe COVID, you know, when it kicked in and we all got comfortable on our couches and we were, you know, just steps away from cookies and Kool-Aid and coffee or whatever, we could just watch it on. By the way, most of us don't even go to, like, pro football games or baseball games or anything like that because we can get a better experience at home, right? It's cheaper, you get better view, all of that. And some of them have approached church that way. It's just more comfortable to stay. My challenge to you is, is to help me disciple them because we love them. Because we love them. We want what's best for them. This isn't us trying to give them a guilt trip. It's us saying we love you as disciples of Christ. We love you, uh, we love you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And because we love you, we want to tell you the truth. You know that these actions are sinful. It's like Paul said, I know what to do, I just don't do it. And that bothered him. And I know not what not to do, and I'm doing it. That bothered me. By you knowing what you should do and not doing it should bother you as well. Who's a person that God's brought into your life that you need to help usher back into alignment with the purpose and the plan of God? I want to just challenge you with that this morning. But this is what Solomon is saying. If you are searching for satisfaction, and that is all of us in this room, you will only find it when you draw close to the heart of Christ and when you just start doing what he's told you to do. If you're here and you're looking to be satisfied, if you're looking to be fulfilled, just fall in love with Jesus. And as a result of falling in love with Jesus, just obey him in all manners of your life. See, the life of Solomon really is a mirror into our own souls. It's a picture of each and every one of us in this room. Each of us are searching for something to fulfill us and satisfy us. And here is what amazes me as I started it a moment ago. When we're all looking for something to fulfill, when we're all looking for something to satisfy, Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, I have the solution. 
I have the answer. If you want to be filled, if you want to be fully satisfied, you must hunger and thirst for righteousness. How many foodies are in the room? A lot of foodies, right? Like we love food. In fact, at the mere sound of food or to talk about food, your stomach's already beginning to let you know that you're hungry, right? Jesus uses this metaphor of hungering and thirsting, and I want to paint the picture of what Jesus is doing, okay? Remember in verse 1, or not verse 1, but uh, the very first beatitude, uh, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are empty. When you're empty, you want to be filled. You start going through hunger pains. Some of us call it hangry, right? Ever been hangry before? A lot of us have been hangry before. I told you, my wife and I, we went on our first mission trip with our kids a couple of weeks ago, and I told you about that first day. Y'all remember that first day? It was raining outside. We were late to the airport. We busted it to get there. Once we got there, we couldn't find a part. We must have looked for 30 minutes. We thought we were going to miss our flight. I let off my family. They go inside. I'm thinking I'm going to have to meet them in Puerto Rico later. I'm driving around, still trying to find a park. I find uh, one in the very back of economy, and I bust it. I mean, I'm grabbing my suitcase, my backpack, and I'm busting it all the way up, trying to catch them in the security line, hoping that they hadn't already got through the gate. And here I am running through the rain, and as I'm getting right there to cross the street at the very front of economy, right across from, you know, the the gates and the airport, somebody's pulling out, and I'm like, you know, Lord, that just really encouraged my soul. Thank you so much for that today. And I just go inside, and I ended up catching them, which was great. But then when we, we got there, the lines were longer than I've ever seen. It was just a long day, right? And not that, but we didn't factor in kids when we were traveling. I mean, we did to some degree, but not really to the fullest degree. Uh, So here we are. We're traveling now through the lunch hour into the early afternoon hour. So we don't land until 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We got to the hotel around 4, so we landed around 3. Okay, let's just say that's that's the case. I don't know the facts of that. Uh, But we land. So all day long, we're going off of like Delta's Biscoff cookies and Sprite. That's what we've eaten. Okay, we didn't pack goldfish. I don't even know if you can take goldfish through the, but whatever. So we didn't have any of that. Like Delta's Biscoff cookies, which they're amazing, by the way. I'm going to buy things in the pack. And I just discovered they got some with cream inside of them. Woo, Lord, shout. Um, anyway, back, back to the sermon. They got these Biscoff cookies in their bodies, and they got a little bit of Sprite in their bodies, and we're hungry. We are starving, okay? But it's 4 o'clock now, and we're thinking, Well, dinner's going to be here, and we're eating at the hotel. Dinner's going to be here in a couple of hours. We don't need to fill up. We just need to get something in our bodies just to kind of, you know, make it to dinner time. So we just find this little shop. looks like a little shack right there by the hotel, and we go into this little shop, and I'm talking about everything smelled great in that shop. It looked good. It smelled good. You know what I mean? Like you are starving. Everybody's already in a bad mood. We just need to get food in our body. I want to tell you what I ordered. I ordered a waffle that had ham and cheese inside of it. And then they buttered it up on top. I'm, this is just to hold me over, right, until dinner. <laughs> then they buttered it up on top, and they put uh, powdered sugar all over it. And that sounds disgusting, but that thing was delicious. Delicious. I also got a smoothie. I also got a donut. Got a pack of chips. We got to the cash register, and I'm kid, I kid you not, like, the kids had three donuts and some pastries, and, you know, I mean, we just, had, we, were, we were feasting. That's what we were doing, right, because we were hungry. But guess what happened at dinner time? Nobody ate. We had pork chops and green beans, and nobody ate it. Why didn't we eat it? 
because we were full on all the junk. The life of Solomon is similar to this, but my life and your life is similar to this as well. Do you know why I believe some of us aren't hungering and thirsting for righteousness? We're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness because we're filling up on all of the junk of the world. That's why we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We we fill up on all of these things that we think will fulfill us and think will satisfy us, and they're just in vain. The reason we don't hunger for the things of God is because we are filling up on all the wrong things. It's really that simple this morning. We fill up on spiritual junk foods. We eat things that have no spiritual or nutritional value to our souls. We feast on things that are high in spiritual fat and high in spiritual calories, and we think that's going to be good for us, but again, it's in vain. And one of the most frustrating things as a pastor of a church and as, a, as any pastor in any way in any church is this. To know the thing that will satisfy the hearts of the people that he has been entrusted to lead. Yet they're feasting on the things of the world that will not fulfill them and satisfy them. It breaks my heart to see that. It reminds me of the summer of 2005 when I worked at a Christian camp outside of Baltimore. I worked at this Christian camp right outside of Baltimore and I was actually the speaker of the week. But there was these Liberty University students that served as counselors throughout the week. So I kind of hung out with them on the weekends off because I did this for like a month and just stayed on site the whole month. Um, I wasn't married then. This was before Kayla and I had met. And here I am in Baltimore. By the way, this camp food was nasty. All right? It was gross. It was it, it just, I wasn't eating it. Um, so long story short, the highlight of our week was we would get to go to Inner Arbor on Friday night and we'd get to go to Cheesecake Factory. All right? We went down there because it gave us something to do. We could just kind of walk around down there, but also because there was a restaurant like Cheesecake Factory down there, and we'd all just go. And it was literally the highlight of our week. We all looked forward to going to the Cheesecake Factory. But I'm telling you, the Cheesecake Factory is the most cruelest, like, restaurant on the planet. I mean, you go in on a Friday night, and you're going to have to wait 45 minutes to an hour and a half. That's what we had to do. And then they sit you down in this little waiting area, just like any restaurant, but they put this massive display of cheesecakes, really one from every place in the world, right in front of you. And the whole time you're sitting there for 45 minutes to an hour, you're in this dilemma. Do I go ahead and just eat the cheesecake, or do I actually wait for the main meal? What's my point? This is going to be theological, so y'all want to write this down. The devil, who's not mystical, he's, he's, he's factual, okay? We'll make sure we know that. The devil, he's a lot like the Cheesecake Factory. I said it first. See, the cheesecake will look good. It will even taste good. But if you indulge in it too early, it will not fulfill you or satisfy you. And here's what we need to know, church family. Sin will always look good and taste good, but sin will never satisfy you. Let's take a lesson from the life of Moses. You remember what, what is it, Hebrews 11, chapter 25 says? Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God. The Israelites, in captivity, in bondage, being spat on and whipped and beaten. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Because Moses understood that, oh yeah, that sin, it looks good, and it might even taste good, but it's not going to satisfy me. 
I'd rather be beaten over here and spat on over here and treated like a slave over here and walk with Jesus because I know that that's the only thing that satisfies. That's the only thing that's going to bring me true, genuine joy. What are the things in your life, church family, spiritually, that are so filling you up that are keeping you from feasting on the things of God? I want to end this time together real quickly this morning. I already went over my time, but here's the thing. Bear with me for just a second. What does he tell us we need to hunger and thirst for? He says righteousness. Well, let's understand what righteousness is so that we can get this right, okay? First thing that I want you to understand about righteousness is righteousness is right standing with God. Righteousness is right standing with God. To be made right with God is to have a right relationship with God. This is how Romans says it in Romans chapter 8. But God shows his love for us. You know this. He demonstrated his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 9 says, since therefore we've now been justified, that word is, means made right. Since we've now been made right by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. In other words, we are made right with God by coming into relationship with him. If you are here this morning and you have never repented of your sin and surrendered your life over to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you're not in right standing in relationship with God. The biggest need of your life today is to surrender your life to the Lord. And the reason you are empty is because you're looking for the things of the, the world to only do for you what God can do. That is to satisfy you. The gospel of Jesus is the greatest proof of God's love for all of us. The perfectly innocent die to rescue the hopelessly guilty when we deserve full punishment for our sin, God punished Jesus in our place. And if you would place your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, you could have the satisfaction of knowing him personally in the same way that all the rest of us do. So the first thing is that righteousness is right relationship with God. There's a second thing to righteousness. Righteousness is right living here on this earth. It's right living here on this earth. What do you mean by that, Trey? It's becoming who you are already declared to be by Jesus. See, on my wedding day, Kayla and I, on our wedding day, we were declared to be one flesh. We have spent the last 13 years becoming who we were declared to be on that day. When you give your life to Jesus, you are declared righteous in him. Yet, you are still becoming more and more like him on this journey called life. We're created and shaped into the image of of Christ. So we are becoming who we've already declared to be. This is what right living here on this earth actually looks like. Let me, let me share this with you. The natural man, you and I, hungers for the things of God. You know that. The natural man hungers for the things of God, whereas true disciples hunger for God himself. And my question for you this morning is really simple. As a true born-again follower of Jesus, those of you who are already in right standing with God, I want to ask you this. I want you to answer within your heart honestly. Do you want the things of God? Or do you just want God himself? Are you so in tune with wanting the blessings? Or do you just want the blesser himself? Is your heart and your soul so hungering and thirsting for God himself and God alone that if he never lays another blessing in your life, you know that your soul will forever be satisfied? Because you have all that you'll ever need 
in him. If you never get another dollar in your bank account, if that rental property goes south, if that business is sold, like if you, if you lose that car and lose that job, can you honestly say this morning, it's okay because my soul, my, 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 my thirst, my, my hunger, my thirst, it doesn't look for the things of this world to satisfy. It finds all of that in Jesus alone. David in the wilderness says this, Oh God, you are my God. And earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. In the wilderness, he's saying this. My flesh, it faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I mean, all I want is for the Lord Jesus Christ to touch the tip of my tongue like water. Like water hydrates a man who's been stuck in the desert. Like that's all I want. You remember what the, the, the verse in Matthew is? The guy says, I'm literally like a dog who sits at the master's table just hoping a crumb of his compassion will fall to the floor. Because if I can just taste the goodness of God's crumb of compassion, it will satisfy every longing my heart has ever had. You know why revival is such a beautiful thing is it breaks off all over the world in different places and we've been studying this. Revival is when people start going to church and they're not looking for the things of God. They're just looking for God himself. And sometimes I get so preoccupied with the type of music and the songs that are sung and is the sermon going to be good enough or no, is it not going to be good enough and all the things that honestly don't matter that it distracts me from Sunday mornings, getting ready for life group, whatever day of the week you meet, and saying, you know what, I'm not going for anything other than God himself. God, I want you, and I want you alone. And if you'll meet me here, I know that my soul will never hunger and thirst again. That's what he told the woman at the well. That will never hunger and thirst again, because all I have and all I need is found in you.